Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Okay, you can hear me? Yeah. Welcome to the uh, Barrels Washburn Podcast, edition three. Been been a minute since Dana and I have talked. A lot has gone on in the last couple of weeks with the Celtics and the NBA. I mean, just a a whole bunch of things have happened. Um, the Celtics got hot. <laughs> rolling up, rolling uh, through the Eastern Conference. Got a shot at even home court advantage in the first round. Um, I mean, just all types of good things have happened to this team in terms of finally playing together, finally playing good defense, as you had talked about. The key to anything is defense, um, playing good D, learning Coach Ime Udoka's system, uh, listening to him not doing the individual stuff, but more of the team stuff. Um, Jason Tatum has become a better playmaker. Uh, Marcus Smart playing the best basketball of his career. Uh, Robert Williams defending at the rim and staying healthy most for the most part. So what's been your impressions of the Celtics team that you have seen over the last month and a half that's honestly gone from maybe not even making the play-in to now trying to get the third or fourth seed? Well, I mean, I see cohesiveness, continuity, Jalen Brown being being healthy for those 15 or so straight games really helped because I thought him going in and out, Williams going in and out really hurt the cohesiveness of the squad and put a lot of pressure on JT um, to try to do more than he was expected, even than, than even we expected him to do. So, man, I just like you said, the defense is totally turned around, man. I, I watch um, a lot more intensity. I watched Robert Williams really controlling the paint. Definitely just, man, he's going he's gonna to have to get a bag when he's ready because he's he's really making a difference for them. And lastly, just shooting the ball a little better. I think Jason has shot the ball extremely well during those this 15-game stretch and gotten his timing and rhythm together. And I just see a lot. I just see a lot. There's a little bit of change, but um, I really see a lot that's uh, – encouraging going forward now the east is strong i mean you still have miami milwaukee and philly now with and brooklyn has kind of gone the other way until we figure out what's going on with the with Kyrie and with kd and now maybe ben simmons with the back so who knows man who knows what's okay so let's touch on uh the big the big trade uh, uh, that's happened right before the deadline a couple weeks ago now james hard for ben simmons and obviously he's Seth Curry and Andre Drummond. What was your impression of the trade? Who do you think might have gotten the best of the tr- best of the trade? Obviously, it's hard to tell because Simmons ain't played yet, right? Harden, Harden looks like young Harden. He always seems. Someone said, uh, I think it's Stephen A's. He, uh, somebody he always seems to lose weight every time he go to a new team. He look he looked twenty pounds lighter. Um, <laughs> right. But 
what is what was your impression of the trade? Would it would you have traded Ben Simmons? Would you? Have, I mean, obviously, it just didn't seem like he was going to ever play in Philly again. But he had three more years after this year left on his contract. He was not getting paid. I don't know if I've ever seen many athletes say, "Hey, don't pay me. I won't play." Usually, they want to get paid. Any and you know, like a John Wall situation, something like that. What was your impression of the deal? And what do you think it how it affects both teams? Um. I mean, I think both teams got a good deal out of place. I thought Brooklyn filled more needs with Seth Curry and Drummond coming over. He's made an impact just in the two games that, or three games or five games that he's played, Seth Curry as well. They got some depth. Um, but if Simmons doesn't play, it's just difficult. At first you're thinking, is it just the mental thing? Does he want to skip the March 10th date? You know, is this going to hang out there till after that? And then all of a sudden he's making a miraculous recovery. Um, you just don't know. So um, that to me, I, I thought Brooklyn got the better side of the deal on paper, but I think Harden wanting a new contract at the end of the season as well and and having to prove a lot of people as he has the last three years. I think, I think right now, uh, you know, Philly's looking a lot better because of the injuries. And if you're not playing, then what's the point of, 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 of value in the trade as far as I'm concerned right now that the trade is won by Philly because they have the active player on the court and he's done a great job keeping Ben uh, I mean keeping uh, uh, Embiid happy so far we'll see how that goes he's kept him very happy these two games Dan I want to get your thoughts on the whole Kyrie situation okay because I was told by multiple people that like Harden okay so Kyrie got with Durant to go to Brooklyn right Okay, that whole infamous talk at the All-Star game in the tunnel when they before they was about to literally hit the court and be introduced, and Kyrie is telling Katie, come on, man, you know, and I, apparently that was to go to Brooklyn or just let's play together. Okay. He goes to Brooklyn. They Katie signs with Brooklyn, even though he's got the torn Achilles. They uh try to make it work. Kyrie only plays in 20 games in his first season because of shoulder surgery. Last year he sprained his ankle during the playoffs and if Kevin had a, a size, you know, 16 instead of an 18, um, they go to the Eastern Conference Finals, um, right. you know, because they that that shot was a two and not a three to beat the Bucks. So this year, the whole thing with Kyrie, I mean, there's always seemed something with him. The whole drama with not wanting to be vaccinated, not being able to play in New York, the team telling him, hey, man, you just can't play. We don't. We're not doing the home road. You're not playing home road games. Then suddenly, apparently, Kevin approached management. You need to get this dude on the floor. The team caves in. Harden's like, I wasn't even all that close to Kyrie anyway. We were right. cool, but I came here for you and to win a chip, and now you're going to throw this dude into our whole chemistry halfway into the season and have him play only road games. Like, what did you think about that situation did Harden have a right to one out? And if you're a teammate of Kyrie Irving and you got some dude playing only road games, which I was never heard of before, what would you think? Well, I mean, Harden, he he really shouldn't be in the position of just judge anybody else's situation with the way he's destroyed teams and, and messed up chemistry on his way out of town. So I don't think he's the right guy to, to really put the blame on someone else. He has he has good points, but I'm I don't really want him to be the messenger for that yeah. at this point in time because he's just done it again, you know. So 
Um, yeah, it's difficult, especially when you're in the mode of guys like Harden and a Durant and even a Kyrie. The only mode is championship mode. There's no uh, let's wait till next year and waste this year and waste that. As as you've seen with injuries to KD, he knows how serious you know things can change a career instantly. So I think the only mode for them is championship. So any anything for Harden that that you know is outside of that box is just kind of like what are we doing here? You know what I mean? So I think I understand his standpoint from that point. Um, but in terms of Kyrie, like I don't I don't tell anyone what to you know to put in their body. I he signed a contract to play basketball. And then they threw the threw the COVID joint in, and I, afterwards it's not in his contract. So if he if he says I don't want to get paid, I'll go home, and you don't have to pay me. I can't knock him for that. He's he's losing, you know, he's making a sacrifice for what he believes in. He's not getting paid in, you know, having both. But again, it's not a, it's not an ideal situation for championship basketball, you know, um, being that they're new altogether in the first place, and then you have injuries and then you, you're trying to finish out the last 25 you know i mean it's just tough even even with the trade if Kyrie and simmons were healthy he would only play eight games you know so you still have that scenario going into the playoffs and you could find yourself in a position of of playing you know the celtics in the first round and and milwaukee in the second round and philly in the th- i mean mm-hmm. you mean you damn you know who wants that yeah it's it's interesting, like, you know, the whole whether to be vaccinated or not has obviously been a, a topic that's captivated our country uh, because you just get people that just don't believe in it, don't know the long-term effects, what's going to happen 10 years from now. Then you got people, some people of color who are like, I don't trust nothing the government wants to put in me. I'm good. I'll just go. I'll, I'll you know, I'll worry about, you know, what happens when if I get it but I'm not taking a shot. But in this situation where so much is at stake and Durant, Durant got the shot, Harden gets the shot and you're the final piece. Like this is the year, right? Like nothing's promised. Kyrie's about to turn 30. Um, Harden's over 30. Katie, the other side of 32 coming off of the Keeleys, like nothing's promised. Do you, like, how tough is that as a teammate when you're like, bro, all you got to do is get this shot and we roll it, okay? We're doing this, everything we talked about. You I mean, and then all of a sudden he comes, like, how frustrating is that for not only Harden, but for other players on the team who they want to get a chip? You want to be, re- you want to be remembered? Yeah, you want to, you want to be one of those players that all go back on reunions and, and raise your rings and all that because when you're a winner title, I mean, let's be honest, Daniel. Look how much the look how much the Celtics talk about 08, and that's 13, 14 years ago now, and they're still talking about. I mean, KG, the great Kevin Garnett's getting his number retired on the thirteenth. Like the Celtics celebrate, like that's that's lifetime stuff. I mean, you win a right. championship in Boston, and I'm sure it might be the same in Brooklyn. You're you're forever immortalized. I mean, look at look at Dave Roberts from the Red Sox stole a base in the in the championship series in 04 and is can, will never buy a beer in Boston again because he walks anywhere. I mean, he stole a base. I'm having him on, I mean, not to, not to denigrate him, but that's hero. That's hero. That's hero. So you have all this at stake and then you turn and you decide like is that fair is it fair to resent him if you're a teammate? I know you said, well, 
you know, he don't have, he have the right to not want to put stuff in his body, but you're looking at him like we all didn't got the shot. We don't, I mean, there's players like LeBron James, Marcus Smart, who have said, the only reason I got the shot is I want to be a good teammate and I want a ball. Like, I'm not going to cause no stuff. I don't want right. to controvert. How do you look at him as a teammate when he's trying, you know, well, I'm upset I'm not playing. Well, bro, then get the shot. Like, you know, when he makes kind of, he seems like he doesn't get it and he's not going to get it. And then you're on his team like, man, if you were here full time, you know, we would be third seed instead of the fighting for the play-in. Yeah, I think there's such bad timing with this because right as this was happening, and if we look back, we see that Kyrie was going through a life change. He lost some people in his life, and he started to go through a total life change, which was he put basketball as a second thing in his life. And I think the timing of the COVID and everything like that kind of came at to a certain point because, remember, with the came to Boston using the Sage and the arena and everybody was kind of taken aback by that. I think at that particular time, he was going through a total life change and he was learning about his heritage and his family. And I think honestly, basketball was second to none um, was second to, to that aspect of yeah. his life, no matter what. And I don't think there's anything that Kevin Durant could have said or, or James Harden could have said or amount of money that you could have put on the table because to me, watching him, I just felt like he was going, he was in a different space, you know what I mean? And I just didn't think that there was anything that was going to break him. And I said to myself, watching him talk about his heritage and his Indian faith and his newfound lifestyle and his diet, you saw he lost a lot of weight. Yeah. You know, when I saw that, I said, okay, wow, this is going to be an issue because I knew right away that he's not, he's, this is a life thing. He's not, he's not. He's not even thinking about basketball because when they told him, you know, in the first press conference and they asked him about it, he was like, bro, I'm, I'm, I don't whatever. I don't care about basketball. This is, you know, and I said, that's it. He's dug in. So as a teammate, bro, that's a tough pill to swallow. You know what I mean? That's a tough pill to swallow because as as me, as an athlete, looking back, there's there's no more valuable thing than time because extra time can get you extra money. You know what I mean? So there's a time that you have, whether it's in the league and life or whatever, there's, it's invaluable. It's unquantifiable and you can't get it back. And I just think from, as a teammate standpoint, yeah, that's, that's, that's a tough pill to swallow because as you see one year later, Harden's gone, the landscape looks different. You're in the play-in game right now, you know, and it's not looking good for you. So yeah, it's, you know, I, I'd be disappointed, you know what I mean? But again, it's a life change. And that brother, ain't, he's not changing for no one. I, and I just think at, at, at some point, he may even tell basketball bye-bye, you know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> what do you think when you, and I don't know if you reach that point in your career where, okay, because I asked Dwayne Wade and Kenneth Sparker about this, like when you get over 30, and you have children and they start growing up and they're not two or three anymore. Now they're seven and eight and 10 or whatever. They got things they want you to come to and, you know, football, gymnastics, karate, whatever, um, boy, girl, whatever, you know, and you start at 32, you get developed different inches. You might get into art. You might get into, you know, collecting certain things. And you're and and you ain't you ain't ball 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 because your first you know since you was six years old you've been all ball, and now 
you're 32 and you're bald, your woman or your spouse, your, your kids, making sure your parents are they getting older, making sure they good. How do you juggle that and still love the game? Because it just seems like there's only very few LeBrons and people that when you get deep in or Kobe's, God bless them, when you get deep in the third, you still want to hoop. Like, because mm-hmm. it seems like life starts pulling at you. And, and you took mention with Kyrie, life started pulling at him. He didn't know much about his mother. His mother passed away. Then he started investigating her Indian heritage and Native American heritage and started to see that, oh, wow, like I come from tribes. I come from kings. And that, mm-hmm. that affected him. And, and you know, he, like you said, he lost weight or changed his diet. Maybe religious situations started changing. Like, how do you juggle that and still be all about ball? Because social media, us, we expect you to be all about hoop until the day you decide you to, to, to stop playing. You can't have no interest. If you no, 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 you're a basketball player. Like I'm a journalist, but I got other interests. I like to do other things. No, people don't judge me. They judge you because you're supposed to be looking at, if you're not playing, studying playbooks, reading, watching video, studying the next opponent, you can't even have nothing to eat. Like, what is it like when you start getting those things, other things tugging at you, but, and you think, man, basketball ain't what it was. It's still important, but not what it was. It's difficult, man. I, I, and I'll be honest, I would say about my 10th year in the league, my kids were born, you know what I mean? And I started thinking th- just differently. I thought about, okay, how can I prolong my career? But also, I started buying properties at that time. I started buying, you know, house here. Another year or two later, I buy another house. Um, get my mother set up, own that house, own that house. I just started thinking differently in terms of not only what am I going to do after this is over, but how do I sustain something, some income that's going to be, am I going to do TV? Am I going to, you know, am I going to rent up, you know, buy a bunch of properties and rent them out and, you know, be a landlord? And, you know, so I just started going through those things in basketball became only I love to go to the game, you know, like yeah. that practice and that shoot around, man, I would rather stab myself in the neck, man. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want the pregame meeting with the black ball. I'm like, nah, man, I'm all set. Like that, that to me became torture, you know, after 10, 11, 12 years, it just became the point like, how much longer can I do that? Because that's affected me playing this, you know, and the game was really the only time I got on the court and just had, total freedom. But uh, man, I'll tell you the bus rides and the 10 day road trips, that starts to take a toll on you and takes a toll on your game from a mental aspect. And that really kind of what, when your mental game is gone, the real players know like Brady, it, it's time to move away. Like I don't love that off season. I don't love that. You know, it's like, okay, it ain't, it ain't my play. It's just, I'm not willing to do that 12 hour day no more, you know? And that's tough, man, because you're still on a team where people expect you to be 100% committed, but you get traded and your kids are still over here in Seattle and you just get traded to Detroit. You know what I mean? And yeah. you're still worrying about, are they cool? Are they safe out there? And then you can't move them because they're in school, you know? Yeah, so mm-hmm. people don't, don't understand things like that affect, you know, uh, mentally and emotionally us more than anything else on the court. And it just seems like as much as like you can you know, blame Kyrie for his issues or whatever, there definitely does seem to be um, 
you know, you, you, you try to understand this situation where he does have different interests and it would be nice if you could explain why he doesn't want to be vaccinated. If it's, if it's something he feels scientific, because you, you know, the Aaron Rodgers, well, you know, people start coming up with their own theories and be the, you know, be, be hood doctors. And it, it, it don't make a lot of sense, but it'd be interesting to, maybe get his perspective as to, you know, him explain it a little bit more than just like, I'm not doing it because, you know, right. you've got so many people that have done it seem to be okay. Balling or working every day because they had to, because they had to work. I mean, well, I'm representing them. Well, Kyrie, you're making millions of dollars. You're not really representing the working man. Like stop that with the, like, you know, you, you got a mansion and you got all that. Like you're not representing the guy working at the steel mill or the guy making cars or the guy working at the subway station. But uh, it would be interesting to be able to talk to him and get his perspective on that. Cause I do think he's someone to listen to. I always thought in Boston, people always ask me about that guy. You know, he's the most talked about athlete, <laughs> probably one of the most besides let's, let's say LeBron, one of the most talked about in divisive athletes in the world. You know, people either you don't, you don't think he's okay. You either like Kyrie or you don't like him. Mm. Um, and I always said in Boston, he was okay to deal with. He respected journalists who did their job. But the thing I knew about him was you could not come to Kyrie with any old question and have him think he was going to answer it. You had to have a well thought out question that had to be, you can't lead him. You got to let him say what he wants to say. You can't say well, Dana, didn't you, you y'all played great tonight? Like, no, we didn't. We played okay. We want like you can't lead him anything. He is going to, you got to come with the right questions. If you don't, he's going to check you. And I think a lot of people didn't like that. Then all of a sudden, obviously, the whole promising to come back and whatever, all the stuff he did. But I always thought he was a pretty intelligent cat and he's a thinker. And I'd like to listen to his reasons. I don't necessarily agree with him, but other than I just don't want to do it and I'm willing to do whatever. And, and to me, that says a lot about what you think of your teammates when they're doing it. And you're like, no, I'm good. I'll just miss the game in Toronto. Y'all losing. I'm going to be, because let's face it. They're like in the East, they're sinking. I mean, they're going to be in the, maybe in the play-in game. So you're going to have Ben Simmons, Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving playing against Charlotte or, you know, one of those other teams in a one game, you know, take it or leave it. I mean, that's going to be crazy, obviously. And then they become the most dangerous team in the playoffs if they win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, look, if you have a, a guy like Kyrie, a, a, a woman, a player like Kyrie on your team, I just think that you need to fully understand that he may, to me, what he believes in his lifestyle is more important than that basketball. You have to understand that up front. Otherwise you won't, you wouldn't be able to incorporate him into your team. And if you're not, if you're not willing to incorporate that, uh, his lifestyle into that, I think it's not going to be a fit. I, and, and to me, like I said earlier, I believe that he's a, a principled enough person that he would choose his lifestyle, his culture over basketball. Mm -hmm. without a heartbeat you know what I mean and I think if you want to bring an unbelievable player like that into your organization you have to understand that first and foremost that 
that and and who's to say to knock that he he believes that his culture his lifestyle his uh health is more more important and than um anything else and that's what you need to understand when you have him in your organization he's an unbelievably talented player but you need to um kind of understand that up front that this is what's coming um you know in the locker room and that's that's a that's a principal guy and he's going to stand up not only on that principle but on every single principle that he believes in when it comes to race you know or any other topic so just understand that you know going back to your career was there a teammate that you would have like i'm not saying you liked all your teammates but that you didn't like his ways, but you had to play with him. You didn't, y'all might've scrapped in practice or y'all might've had a animated, you know, you knew that they didn't agree with some of the things you believed in, but you made it work on the floor, on the, on the court. Hell yeah. I mean, listen, <laughs> man, coming in the league, I came into Seattle getting drafted and on, and there were five point guards there. It was Sedale three, Nate McMillan, Avery Johnson, me and Gary Payton. <laughs> and dudes was getting clothesline and you know in practice and you know they helping you up but i'm like and, and nate mcmillan told me he's like bro because nate could play one two three or four nate yeah, was like y'all can fight over this boy i'm going to the other position nate was like listen bro ain't nobody here your friend i'm telling you right now he's like that's that's what he told me after like two or three days of practice so nah i mean i i listen i've had certain guys that would really help me out but i i learned early that this is a business, man, and especially, especially um, play guys that play your position, you know, is there's a whole bunch of facades up there, you know, along the lines. And and I just always kept, you know, I had certain friends that I really trusted, but I always kept the wall up, you know, for mm -hmm. people that I was competing against, you know. I always, always never turned my back to the door when, they, when I knew they yeah. were in the vicinity, you know. So, um but again, I've hated coaches. I hated playing for Rick Pitino. I had to go out and play for him every day. You know, mm -hmm. we've had many a confrontation, like heated conversation. I've never had an argument with a coach, and I just, like, went ballistic a couple of times in front of the whole team, and people were like, oh, my God, I never knew that. He was like, I was like, bro, listen, <laughs> I'm not having it. Y'all can have it. I'm not having it, you know? So, and I've had to go back and deal with those players and coaches every day so yes definitely definitely especially when I'm, I'm a competitive guy people always thought they could post me up anytime they wanted to and we was gonna fight over that yeah, you know yeah. I'm not having it I'm not not gonna make me look crazy out here so yeah a lot a lot of those speaking of guys you played against um what was your impression of the NBA 75 the ceremony how they did it it seemed like the NBA is really bringing you know like celebrating the greats of the game, which they should. And it seemed like that was, for me, I was there. It was great to see the ceremony, a lot of the Hall of Famer. We could, you know, some cats didn't show up. Anthony Davis, Westbrook. I, I don't know what bigger event there is than like being next to Oscar Robinson and Michael Jordan and, and you know, Hakeem Olajuwon that you just like, no, I'm good. I'll, I'll, I'll come next time. There ain't no next time, you, you know. Right. Who knows what's gonna happen when there's a hundred? You know, that's 25 years from now. You said that you just said earlier, time is not promised. And I mean, but to see what was your thoughts when you saw those guys all being kind of given the jackets and 
coming out there because it was, it was a real nice event, in my opinion. Definitely. I, man, I felt like bad because I, I'm like, damn, I forgot about him and forgot about him. How he was, oh, he was unbelievable. Damn. I got to put him in my top 10 on my top. So like, damn, it was like that because you look around, you see how many play, great players there were. And then you look at players who had their careers shortened by injuries who should be in those, in those, like to me, like a, a Penny Hardaway and a Grant Hill and a and a and a um, Tracy McGrady. He's in the Hall of Fame, but I'm like, if you imagine these guys didn't mm-hmm. have these injuries, man, they would be talked about like a LeBron James and a and a you know Michael Jordan. So I was just like amazed at the guys that I felt I I felt like I disrespected. I'm like, damn, I'm sorry. I'm like saying, damn, he's he's one of my top ten all times, and I just so that to me was just a reminder of greatness. You know what I mean? And that. We, we live in the moment in the present, but man, there's a lot of greatness that led up to them becoming the, the players that they are today. You seem like, I mean, even though we don't have as much highlights as maybe other sports, I mean, it, I mean, in the era you put, we talked about the previous podcast, like the era you played in, it just seemed like it was fun, but competitive, physical, all of what some people say the NBA isn't now because of uh, the flagrant fouls and now you like all these things is referees taking over um and the league really wanting to eliminate the fighting it just seemed like in your era i mean that was kind of the golden era where like guys were getting more and more athletic the jordans and then there was like then there came kobe and then lebron like the athletes were getting better but then the play was still physical but like you said you go inside and somebody gonna get a little forearm that seemed to be the golden era. Yeah, I mean, um, it kind of transformed the game, good and bad. Like, it was some great athletic abilities, but it was a rough and tough game. You've had fights. You had the malice in the palace, which kind of changed the, the game a little bit. And But I really – I think it just – those eras from the 90s on just took off from a marketing and a, and a TV standpoint and – the dollars became crazy because of the TV and the game changed. I mean, um, there was so much advertising money out there for the networks that they didn't want to see the 85 to 81 game anymore. Yeah, They wanted to see more of let the guy go on the fast break so we can get the dunk. And they wanted to see that. And I just think um, the, and, and David Stern was like a, he was like, he was like a more of a, you know, a dictator, man. You know what I mean? Like, it came in there, your shorts better not be below this number. We're going to find you. I got fined for having socks too low. I got fined for having, you know. It became um, uh, a, so image conscious that Allen Iverson was looked at as a pariah for braids and for tattoos, which is like cultural, some something yeah. cultural. You know what I mean? So, yeah, I mean, it, it became such a money thing, man, and the billions of dollars started to come into the game, and it just became um, watered down, like music, like everything else, you know, like, we can talk about old hip hop and how now we're just, I don't know what the hell they saying now. I don't know what yeah. the hell is it. I just know the melody. You know? Yeah. Nobody's lyrical, you know, not, no. not that many. It's different. And the game is watered down for entertainment purposes. And, um, you know, um, some say it's better, some say it's worse, but again, I just feel like um, if we could kind of mix the two back together, get a little more physicality, in the game and stop all this switching and letting Steph Curry play against the center every time he told he calls a pick and roll and yeah. like just 
away from all that easy stuff and let's go back to some, you know, I'm facing my best player against your best, your player. best player. Let's let's, let's get it crack, you know. I never asked you so what was it like for you to grow up in Boston area and play for the Celtics? Like that's rare, you know, to be able to play for your hometown team, to put on the green. Um, what was that like? A Boston kid playing at Boston College and then eventually going to the Celtics. A little scary at first uh, because when I came to sign my contract, I was in the room with Larry Bird and Red Auerbach, which was like bananas to me. It was like, um, I just felt like when Red Auerbach and was watching me, it was like, I felt like I was like under the microscope like yeah. in the snow globe. Like, and that, I never really felt pressure from a front office like that, un, unbeknownst to them. You know what I mean? Like, I just was like, I'm actually playing on, for Larry Bird and Red Auerbach. And to me, that was the scariest thing leading up to it. But once the game started, um, I just, you know, playing, playing, I always just tried to play the same way, just 100%, you know. Going through Philly before that was a, a lot more difficult, yeah. you know. And I, so, um, because I played with Sean Bradley, which was sad. It was a sad story, man. That guy came from not playing basketball for two years on a, on a sabbatical yeah. to where they should have drafted Chris Webber or, or Penny Hardaway, and then they got him, and the fans right out the gate, he had no chance. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, coming from that situation, I had to show up at Philly every night with that motor full of gas because they weren't having it. Like, we yeah. were losing and they wanted to see us give 100% effort in that 15 to 20 point loss, you know? And um, so I learned really quick that plus it, plus um, in Philly, it was those two years were my contract year. So I just had a mentality where nothing mattered, but when I get on the court, I'm just going to go all out. And that kind of carried over. So I was, I was, and I played at BC at home as well, but other than that first initial, you know, stint in the offices and training camp, man, it was just, it was all love, man. It was all love. It's funny, like, young people might not know who Sean Bradley is. And to explain it, he's a 7'6", he was a 7'6 center, very thin out of BYU, who was considered maybe a potential franchise player in the 76ers, took him as that. And unfortunately, in the era where here comes Shaq and here comes you know, Elijah Wan, he just could never really compete. And then the fact that he was seven six and he was a big white kid, every brother who wanted to dunk wanted to dunk on like everybody came at his throat. You know, it was right. just it was kind of sad because it was it, he didn't ask to be seven six. You know, and people just might have thought he was privileged because he's a big white kid or well, I don't know, but you know, and I know now he's got a, a fortunate situation where he's not unable to walk because of an accident. But in those days, it just I've never, there's not too many players you just felt bad for eventually, but man, you just see every dude who went to the rim against the Sixers was trying to literally jump, dunk on John Bradley or Shaq. Just, I mean, Shaq just pushing him around. Like, you know, it was just sad in a sense because, you know, he tried, he just was never going to be a franchise, not at seven, six. I think the NBA learned that some of these guys who were seven, five, just weren't, you know, Ralph Sampson's knees went out. He, he could never right. really be that guy. But, like, you know, it's it's hard to put your stake, your, 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 all your franchise in a 7'6 guy 
especially when your play, the NBA was starting to change, three-pointers, small ball a little bit. It was it was not – it was still the big man, but not a seven-foot-six, 220-pound guy against Shaq. I mean, you know, or, or David Robinson or, the you know, Elijah Wan. It, it was sad. Yeah, I mean, uh, man, to live through that, like empathy, man. I had so much empathy for that guy. But um, because not only that, but he had been like he was gone on a sabbatical for two years. So when he came home, he had just gotten married when he right like two days before training camp, coming back off his honeymoon, not understanding like a real city type environment. You know what yeah. I mean? Like he is a is a down home workman city you know what i mean it's just it's a work work person city workman city so man i just man that was that was tough the nba you know almost was was kind of trying to help out but the owner would would come in the locker room and really put a lot of pressure on him and tell him how bad he was playing oh, wow. and they owned a lot of restaurants so the owner cats on own restaurants and then the worst thing i ever seen was after every shoot around they would bring like cheesecake in to try to put weight on him. They would bring these pastas, this cream sauce. And every game he would be throwing up at halftime because he's eating all this oh terrible stuff. And, and back at that time, I'm reading, but I didn't eat red meat. Like I'm a, I'm like really trying to do what I got to do to survive in the league. Yeah. And I'm looking at this like, who the hell is co-signing this? Because he was just, he couldn't play with that. It was just, it was just an all around bad situation for him, man, coming into the league. And Don Nelson really wanted him. But um, he tried to – he picked third, and we picked second, and um, Orlando picked first. Orlando picked Chris Webber, and Don Nelson tried to pay trade the two for three pick, but they wouldn't do it. And, you know, I think he would have worked out a lot better with Nelson because he yeah. had a better understanding of small ball using a big guy with a bunch of small guys. I think he could have he could have worked it a little better. So I felt bad for him. And to see what's happened to him now is tough, man, because, you know, he, he retired and he, you know – had a farm and a bunch of kids and um, yeah. was a great dad and had a wife. And to have that accident is, is, you know, it's difficult. I remember that a couple of years ago and sent my blessings to him. You know, I sent my blessings to his family. Yeah, it's it's tough. I think we all think that every, like what I, um, what I discovered covering the NBA, Dana, for years. And I remember the first guy that was in this category was a guy named Stanley Roberts who played yeah. with Shaq at LSU. I covered him with the Clippers. And Stanley was the nicest guy, but he was seven foot 270. So, mm -hmm. you know, people, and then he plays, he played with Shaq. Okay, so right. people think, well, aren't you, you look like Shaq, you should play like Shaq. And I'm like, no, no, no. Um, and Stanley was, you know, couldn't really get his weight and under control, you know, played as much best he could, but, you know, he wanted to do a clothing line. Like, he had all these other, like we talked about earlier. Stanley right. wanted to be a stylist. Stanley wanted to do, <laughs> but basketball paid. And so he right. did it, and everybody expected him to be a franchise center, and he couldn't. And I, I, the first coach I covered, the man who just passed away, uh, was Bill Fitch. Mm. And Bill Fitch got all in his head. Like, we talked about, like, just, you know, you loser, you, you get in shape. Like, you know, Bill gave him that tough love. And, and right. Stanley wasn't for the tough love. Like some of these guys, you can give them tough love. They they motivated by it, not him. It got to his head, and he never right. became 
even close to like that that player that people thought he could be because you know because he had the size and i right. remember I, I remember on that team too was Ke- a guy named kevin duckworth who yeah played in portland first yeah yeah played, had i mean you're talking about a big man and and i don't want to compare him to indeed but duckworth could shoot he had nice soft hands could hit free throws shoot the jumper like had a nice jump hook like Duckworth had a, a refined big man's game where Shaq was all, when he was younger, was all just, you know, clear out, dunk on you. Like Duckworth was a huge guy with a real nice touch, but he could never get in shape. And that was the same thing. Like it was so much pressure on him, but I, but he might not love the game that much to want to do that, you know? And I think with Bradley, the same, like Bradley, like you said, got his farm, got a bunch of kids and, and just, got out of the spotlight because when you're that size everybody wants a a piece of you right i mean i think i think some of these kids like we i want to shift to like okay so lebron says that he wants to play with his son okay um what what i've heard is Bronny, who's not his dad's height i think six two six three maybe uh, looks like looks considerably shorter than his dad but he uh, Obviously, the growth spurt ain't happening because if you have a, a dad who's 6'9", he's probably going to be near that. You know, I don't think he's going to be 6'1". Uh, there's like a 20 or 34th ranked player in the class 23. So he's a Division One player. That's easy Division One, But there's no guarantee he's one and done or he's going to go to Kentucky and play for Cal or go to Kansas or North Carolina or Duke and just, you know, be all ACC second team All-American, and then all of a sudden be a lottery pick. Like, what kind of pressure does that put on a kid when his dad says he wants to play with him? Doesn't that put pressure on him to try to get to the league as soon as he can, even though that might not be his journey? Man, I totally agree. It's it's such a difficult thing for um, even my son, you know, playing in high school and playing in college, you know, like people going at him. You know, that's Dana Brown's son. He, he can't shoot. He can't. He All he wants to do is shoot again. You know, all that. man. <laughs> and I so I can't even imagine that, you know, me telling everyone my son is going to the league and I'm going to play with him and and having that pressure put on me. Um, maybe he has the shoulders to handle that. I don't know. But I would not want to add that extra pressure of being LeBron James' son. You know what I mean? I, I wouldn't want to be LeBron James' daughter who didn't play basketball. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I wouldn't even want a part of that. So, yeah, and then again, like you said, I've been kind of watching it. Coming back from knee surgery, my son sent me a video about it and that he kind of fell in the rankings and he's trying to work his way back up. But again, man, being the number 30 player uh, in the say in in, uh, in all of the country, if you were to rank that on terms of one to a hundred on what level you are of making it to the NBA, being a thirtieth ranked player as a sophomore junior is like level five or six. Yeah. You know, it's like you're not even close to being there. Like you, you could be the number one player in high school across the board, and you're still like no, level nine of a hundred. Like you're not yeah. even close, bro. Like so, I just think that man, that's an immense amount of pressure. Barring injury, man, you know what I mean? Barring just so many emotional things going on, bro. Like, man, that's a lot of pressure. But I salute young Bronny. I hope um, that he he has the shoulders to bear that brunt and um, and he makes it to that. 
because yeah. LeBron was the same guy. I never seen a player who had more pressure coming on his shoulders, coming into the league, and has lived up and beyond that. We didn't have that totally. type of pressure as Michael Jordan. He's the third pick. Elijah Wan was the big guy. We didn't, you know, Mike kind of came out the blue, but LeBron mm -hmm. was, he's the guy, he's going to win to, he's going to do this, and he's lived up to that. So we'll see. Totally. I mean, much respect to LeBron James for what he's accomplished. And also the fact that he's, um, you know, he's he, he, he's a family man. He's raised good kids, and his son is, is is a good ball player. I just think it puts a lot of pressure on him to one try to race to the end. Who says he wants to be an NBA player? He might want to be a doctor. He might right. go to college, meet a girl, and want to go. You know what I'm saying? Like anything can happen to him between age 17 and age 20. You know, like I, I think that's a lot to ask. And I know he's he seems like he's a good player. You know, but like you said, 34th ranked player, that's D1. You know, that's, you know, Texas Tech or whoever. That's a that's high level D1. But he ain't Carmelo. He ain't one of these guys that's going to average 30 and then, okay, I'm ready. Like he might average seven as a freshman. And the funny thing about it is he vilified LeVar Ball for doing the exact same so thing. But LeVar Ball's son was actually in college. It was actually a top two pick. Yeah, good and enough. By LeVar Ball for saying things that were to us crazy. Like he's better than Steph Curry already. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> you're saying that he's going to make it to the league now, which is kind of crazy to us as well. So if you're kind of doing the same thing, you're, you're putting so much confidence in your, in your son's ability you're putting insurmountable pressure on him, which is, you know, what wow. LeVar Ball, what Lonzo Ball had to deal with. Now, I think the Melo, he, he didn't have that no. leading up. Lonzo struggled with that, you know what I mean? Lonzo, really I struggled. Think has. I, I, I think, if, I think if, if his dad not been on his butt, like he, Lonzo would probably be a better player. Like, because if he'd had time, maybe stayed another year, but he was a number two pick. And then, the, you know, hometown team, the Lakers, but maybe stay another year at UCLA because he really couldn't shoot coming out. And now he's become a good player. He just can't stay healthy. Right. Melo just had something different about him. The pizzazz, that shooting half-court shots. Like his, his, his blending into the league was much smoother. The one I think he messed up on was Leangelo, the middle one, who I was told, like, listen – the only reason he's at UCLA is they want his brothers. They like it's a it's a it's a they handed him a scholarship because uh, uh, he's not a high level D one. They said he's a mid major guy, and then he gets into trouble. And then instead of staying out a year, playing at UCLA, getting that education, getting that experience, and maybe he jumps out and tries to go to the G League. Like that's my problem with a lot of these young guys. Is like you. Like, the, you think just you can just come out out of high school and go to the G League and then you're ready for the league in a year. That don't happen to everybody. You know, there ain't too many Jalen Greens and all. Like, stop thinking that you're going to put one year in the G League, which is kind of a free-for-all. Like, you got guys putting, you know, man, Isaiah Thomas putting 45 points up. Like, you got structure, but it's not – it's not – you know, you can put numbers up there and still not be all that great of a player. 
And I just think that's the discouraging part when, when LeVar, you know, put all that pressure on his son, well, they all going to play for the same team. Oh boy. Like, don't do that. You know, and now I think uh, Leandro's in the G league, just trying to, trying to get a contract, which is fine, you know, but I just, I had, I mean, I think college is a great experience. Um, and it's, you can enjoy it, but I just think that's the one mistake he made, but the other two, I mean, you got to give him credit. I mean, as much as mess he talked and, you know, and, and all that stuff he said five years ago and, and, was the kind of the poster boy for a bad father for not bad father, but, but bad athletic father, you know, the right. one, you know, not, not a bad father, good father, but just the one, right. my son, the greatest, you look like, you know, Michael Jordan, like all that. And we, and honestly, Dana, like people ask me, ask me, but I'm like, there's two, three of those dudes in every barbershop. Oh, you know, man, I could have played for the Celtics, man. I'm, like like just talking like yeah you sure yeah you yeah yeah you know i, I was all american man you know i could you know i was a six member new edition i mean like come <laughs> on, really, you know just the, the guys would talk a bunch of stuff and i just think lavar <laughs> lavar as a black father but was that guy and everybody else was like yeah we we seen this before but then corporate and regular mainstream america had never really seeing someone like him before and didn't really know how to take him uh, but i but i also believe he 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 talked he talked truth two of his kids are in the league and you can't can't argue with that definitely definitely man and you gotta give him a lot of credit you know um he didn't send them to special schools they went to their local schools and they he trained them and they you know again so you got to take the good with the bad when it comes to that. You know, we don't know what went on in the house. So as far as I'm concerned, he was a good parent. He, his kids are good kids. I was, other than the Leandro little, in, I mean the little incident. I mean those yeah. kids are spoken, mild mannered kids. You know, yeah, not a kids. Kudos to him from, from that standpoint. But but these young kids out here, man, they're just so athletic, bro. It's it's like they don't need to work on fundamentals and they don't need to do certain things. It's just. I'm going to take off from the, you know, dotted line in the game. And then, you know, we'll, we'll take it from there. <laughs> well, they've been watching John Morant. I mean, did you right. see it? Oh. <laughs> man, man, I'm about to get a Memphis jersey, man. Yeah. I'm like, My goodness. I mean, <laughs> that's the thing. I think people look at him. I mean, he's the future of the league. And I think that – I think it's good for the NBA to have him in a smaller market now. People have thought to them thought maybe that the Grizzlies – would be the one franchise that would might move to Seattle. Cause I think um, you played in Seattle. I covered the signers for three years, uh, great NBA city. And it, they got messed around with the whole Oklahoma city thing, but people thought maybe that's the franchise that would be moving. But I think now um, he's keeping that team in Memphis. Like Ja is single-handedly keeping that team in Memphis. You don't let that team move with what he's done with that franchise, putting butts in the seats, making this team exciting. They added Memphis and the Celtics tomorrow, um, Thursday night on TNT, because people want to see John on a national stage. So, um, I, you know, what he's just, just, an, just an incredible player. One more thing before we go. I saw you at the BC Duke game. They tried, BC played hard. They tried hard. They just don't have the talent. Right. What can BC do? We talked about this earlier, but 
uh, full year under the new coach. Um, they compete, you know, they play hard, but what can they do to get to that next level where they can make tournaments and be a factor in ACC? Well, I mean, obviously talent, they're going to have to get, I mean, Earl, Earl Grant, the new coach kind of came in and was left. I think there was eight or nine players on the roster. So he had to kind of fill in his roster with different people. Um, and he's actually gotten a lot out of them, a lot out of those guys on the floor. They compete, like you said, every night. But the biggest thing for me, what started last year and this year is the transfer portal. So these kids nowadays are so spoiled, man. They, they got one year. They don't like how it goes down. They out. You know what I mean? So I think the best thing that can happen to Boston College is they get maybe a good win this year in the, in the ACC tournament. If not, they have some good wins on TV next year. And they could get one or two really good players to leave a North Carolina or a Duke or another ACC team, a really top five, you know, or top 25 player that can actually come in as a sophomore. And by the time he's a junior, senior, be a really good player. That's really what we need, you know, in terms of that, because there's not that much hyping up you can do, you know, Tom Brady's gone. Billy, Billy Belichick is having a rough time coaching them <laughs> up. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you need talent on the floor. So, and I think that's where previous, the previous coaching staff didn't really have relationships, not even with me, not even with other players across the country. And I think what the new AD and what Earl did was immediately coming in, reaching out to myself, Troy Bell, Scooney Penn, uh, Bagley, Adams, all these guys, getting them back involved to games and helping them recruit players in their area. If there's a player in Connecticut, holler at Bagley. He's coaching out there. You know, you know, throw the word in for the for the um, squad. You know, so I think that's what the school never had before. And I think Earl is in, in the um, the organization has done a great job of reaching out because now I'm even contacting with Spoonie Penn on the gram. Now I'm back with with um, all these ex-player Howard Isley, we're all now talking to each other because we're saying, yo, Earl reached out and da-da-da. So that, to me, is the first step, bro. That's the first step. It seems like, Dana, people don't, the general, I know the young kids don't, but even generally people don't know how much talent came out of BC. I mean, I'll say, we talk about you, Michael Adams, Howard Isley, uh, we go Danya Abrams, Billy Curley, Re recently Reggie Jackson. You know, I mean, uh, NBA starter came out of BC. Uh, right. You know, the two young men that didn't quite make it, Jerome Robinson and the other kid who came who left early, played a little bit for, with the Warriors. Um, yeah, like uh, you know, I wish they had maybe maybe decided to stay one more year as opposed to jump out there and try it, but just. A lot of good talent historically has come out of Boston College. And I don't think people really know that. It's been such a dry spell, bro. It's been, it's been, this generation hasn't even seen that. I think what was they went to the final four in what, 2002 or something like that, or yeah. final eight, 2002. Yeah. So yeah. These did. kids weren't born, man. You know oh. what I mean? So you haven't had a, you haven't had any excitement, any really jump since then you know what i mean so it's been tough man to, and these kids are visual like they don't want to hear the stats and have you telling them a story you got the picture show me the damn video bro if you ain't got that 
You ain't got nobody taking off like John Moran in the last five years. You're not going to have an Instagram presence. You know? Yeah. you know, you don't have somebody making 12, 15 threes in the game. You're not going to have an Instagram presence. These young kids don't want to see toughness. They don't want to see, you know, picking up full court man to man. They want to oh. see foolishness. That's one play of a game. And um, we just got to get some guys who can provide that foolishness. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. It just seems like I've, I've watched the game and, Obviously, Duke had was more talented, but the BC kids played real hard. And I like the way Grant is just trying to, hey, I'm trying to start something here, build, fill this arena. It's a nice, it was a nice atmosphere, although it was mostly Duke fans. But get people to be excited about uh, BC basketball again because, I mean, the tradition, I looked up at the banners, I was like, man, I forgot all the talent that has gone through here. And obviously, we talked about it before the, the great days of the Big East. But just to have BC as a factor, I think, would be great, even for local basketball and even the local kids you work with, to have that option and know I can go to the tournament because that's what they want to do. Like, they don't care about, like you said, like, they, they played a March Madness NCAA game. All they care about is going to the tournament and, and, and where are you going to get drafted. Like, if they don't – if they know they can't go to the tournament – with BC, they're not going to go to BC. Like right, they do, exactly. they're not trying to finish ninth in the ACC and go to the NIT. Like they literally want to play on the big with in the, on the biggest stage. Yeah, and that's that's the key. So I, we just got to keep building, man. Um, you know, I think we had the right person in there for right now. You know, going forward, he's done a good job this year. But again, he said it. You know, I said it to him. He said it to me. It's a long uphill battle. It's a marathon. Mm -hmm. And we just got to keep pushing, bro, you know? <laughs> well, Dana, that's it for this week. Uh, folks, we will talk to you guys. We'll, we'll probably do this weekly. Uh, next week, the Celtics play Memphis, then Brooklyn, then Charlotte. So we'll talk about those games. We'll talk about other stuff going on in the NBA because it's starting to get – it's kicking into high gear, the playoff run, who's going to make it. Next year, we'll – I mean, we could have done a whole other podcast about the Lakers. We didn't even talk about the Lakers. I mean, my goodness, all the problems going on in L.A. And now there's, there's New Orleans is on the heels, and, and, and they got to fight to stay in the play-in tournament. Uh, but we, we will talk about all that next week, and then we'll see what B.C. does in the SEC tournament, where they're going to be seated. Let's, you know, let's see if they get a favorable seat and maybe win a game or two in an ACC tournament. And I know – uh, you know, the BC women are on the bubble for NCAAs. The BC women uh, got women's team, you know, so let's give, you know, some kudos to the BC women's team. Because uh, I think they, they, I think they're one on the projection to get in the tournament. So good for them. So we will see you guys next week. Uh, thank you. And we'll talk to you soon. You guys mask up and still mask up and stay safe. Yeah. Peace. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.